check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom, and I'm so excited to kick off the first of our series of interviews with teachers who transition from balanced literacy to structured literacy. Our first interview is with Savannah Campbell of Campbell Creates Readers. She's got an amazing presence on Instagram. She also has a wonderful blog and TPT store, and I know you're going to enjoy the conversation today. Her love for students and her passion for helping them really comes out. The only issue is that when I was recording this, I did not have my mic set up properly, so my audio is not very good. But Savannah is the star of this episode, and you will hear her nice and clear. So we'll get started right after the intro. Welcome to Triple R Teaching, where we encourage you to think differently about education by helping you reflect, refine, and recharge. This isn't just about trying something new as you educate those entrusted to your care. We'll equip you with simple strategies and practical tips that will fill your toolbox and reignite your passion for teaching. It's time to reflect, refine, and recharge with your host, Anna Geiger. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode in our Balanced to Structured Literacy series. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Savannah Campbell. She's a reading specialist, and she is active on Instagram, on her blog, and in her Facebook group, and they're all called Campbell Creates Readers. Welcome, Savannah. Thank you, Anna. I'm so excited to be here. I told you when you reached out to me, I've followed your blog for years. I was very honored. You are rocking it over on Instagram, so it's exciting. Very exciting to hear that there was a connection. Can you talk to us a little bit about your understanding of how to teach reading and how that looked for most of your teaching experience? Yeah, so I like to say that I was born and raised in a balanced literacy world. I've been teaching for 11 years, and all 11 years I've taught at the school that I went to as a kid. So it's a really special place for me. And I've known from the beginning, like from the beginning, I've always cared, and I've always tried my hardest, and I've always had relationships with children. And yet I couldn't figure out why my kids weren't performing the way that I knew they could. And I actually have, I have two master's degrees from William & Mary. One is in elementary education. I got that in 2011. And then one is in, as for my reading specialist degree that I got in 2015. And I hate to say it, but like neither one of those programs taught me how to teach children how to read. And I did everything they told me to do. And my world was really centered around authentic literacy experiences for children. So I thought if I just gave them the right books and if I just helped them find their voice as writers, they would magically learn to read and write. And I just I, I just remember always thinking, like, what is missing? Is it me? Like, why am I not making progress? I'm doing everything. I'm reading all the books. Like, I would read, like, 20 professional development books each summer and do everything I could, and yet it still just wasn't working. And it wasn't until about 2018 that I, I realized it's because no one had ever... I don't even think I had learned what explicit instruction was. Yeah. Except you probably learned that it was boring, right? That it wasn't something you wanted to do. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's right. And they they made it seem like if you just taught children something, that was like, no, no, like you can't just teach children stuff. They have to discover and they have to explore and they have to categorize. 
And it's just so funny looking back now how I, I never realized that you, you kind of just have to teach them some things. Yes, and I totally am with you. We probably read a lot of the same books. Um, I loved yeah. all the Fountas of Pinnell books, Lucy Calkins, Reggie Routman. I just devoured them full, full of notes. Still have Richard Allington. Oh, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because they made it sound so inspiring. And I think that's positive yes. because we want to be excited about teaching reading. But I was just talking to someone mm-hmm. else today in, uh, in Lucy Calkins' Art of Teaching Reading. I think it's like 600 pages mm-hmm. and there's like six pages about mm-hmm. phonics. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's about dreams, and which is very exciting, but that won't yes. get kids to read. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned that and like the likability factor. I literally would like talk about Lucy like she was my friend. (laughs) And I read all of Lucy's books, The Art of Teaching Reading, The Art of Teaching Writing. I would like go around quoting them. And you're right. They make it feel so, so much like a craft, you know, like it's very much what you bring into it and the teacher's personality and all these things. But there is so... It's so flimsy. Yeah. Like the actual instruction part of it is so flimsy, but it makes you feel good. So true. And that's, I think, how they fooled us for so long. Mm-hmm. In some ways, they're correct. You know how they say that what the teacher brings to it is so important. Like, that's really important. We don't advocate yeah, teaching with scripts, but at the same time, if you don't equip the teacher with what they need to give to the kids, yeah. then it's just not going to work. Personality won't teach someone to read. I agree. And, you know, and there's a difference between, like, like being a good teacher and bringing your own spin to it and not actually giving them the skills to teach. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think that they were really missing for a long time. And it's it's hard to reflect back on. I know. I know it is. I know it is. um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to think back to when you, if you're able to, can you share any examples of something where you... You look back and you see what the issue was now, mm-hmm. but you didn't know it at the time. Absolutely. Okay, I have to say, if you hear crying in the background, my daughter's crying. I'm <laughs> no sorry. problem. <laughs> no problem. Well, absolutely. I remember I taught these fourth graders, and they were these boys, and they were so smart, and they were like so articulate, and they were so funny, and they just like had everything going for them except for they couldn't read. Like they, and it's not that they, it's not that they like couldn't read cvc words like we if that if it had been that obvious i think we would have noticed it they knew their letter sounds they could do cvc words that kind of a thing but there was just some disconnect between how intelligent and articulate they were and what they were able to do in print and i couldn't figure out the disconnect and i remember thinking if i can just put the right book in their hand i thought that was going to be the magic solution and i bought every book like literally every book i thought that they might have a shred of interest in and at the end of the year guess what they still couldn't read and they still like didn't love to read because i never actually taught them and it wasn't until years later that their mothers actually there were a couple of them told me that they got diagnosed with dyslexia and I in my teacher preparation no not my teacher preparation program in my reading specialist program my professor actually told us dyslexia doesn't exist oh my goodness and that's 2015 2015 that I went through that program I this I I'm totally with you on that one and I I feel so bad because um so I taught started teaching Mm -hmm. first third fourth and fifth grade for three years in a combined class and then after that I taught first and second um and I didn't know anything about what I, except what I had learned growing up, learning how to read. Yeah. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about a phonics scope and sequence or what order you should teach it. So when I had these third graders looking back there, I'm sure there were two of them that had dyslexia. 
Mm-hmm. I just told her parents to read to him more and give him more books and just practice, yes. practice. And you know when I had a third grader who was spelling CVC E words as CVC words and just, you know, did I, mm-hmm. it just never occurred to me that I should give her an assessment. Sit down, let's work this out. Mm-hmm. And for years too, when people would email me in my blog and say, I, I need help with my child with, with dyslexia, I would just say, I really don't know about that, but here's some websites. I never considered mm-hmm. that it was something I should really study. I just thought it was mm-hmm. just kind of this, you know, rare thing that only a few yes. people know about. But now we know many children have it and all teachers should understand it. So that's sad to hear that. Absolutely. They were still given that bad information not that many years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, and two, you know, the the teaching that benefits children with dyslexia can benefit all. It's not going to hurt any child, but for some children, it they absolutely have to have it. You know, and and one other thing I was going to say about balanced literacy and how just attractive it is. I truly think that for teachers, it's made so much sense because that's how we learn to read. So many teachers were part of that 40 percent that are going to learn to read no matter what. You know, I, I felt like when I grew up as a child, like I just opened a book and I knew how to read. And so it was difficult for me to understand why for some children that didn't work, because as teachers, many of us are readers and we love to read and we don't understand how it can be a different like process for those children and not that we learn to read differently but that it's not the same ease with which I had it yeah and just to understand that when I think well when I think about why was I for so long against this explicit teaching because that's how I learned to read actually back in the 80s with explicit teaching oh really yeah so I'm older than you, I'm sure, <laughs> but quite a bit. But back, my mom taught me to read when I was like five with, I just pulled one out. My, I have it scheduled for Instagram. It's a picture of this little notebook I still have of a, a decodable story that she wrote and illustrated for me. Oh, wow. And, um, wow. That's so cool. So that's, I mean, that's how I first learned to read. But my memories of reading in school were that I was bored because I was a quick reader. And so I was bored by the, um, mm-hmm. the, the level, the decodable stories that we had and everything. So that's a whole other mm. issue because, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. about explicit teaching, it can also be differentiated and everything. But balanced literacy just is so exciting. And it is. It just it feels intuitive, but it's not. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it and it, it's almost like you, you try to get to the end point in balanced literacy too quickly. You try to get to the authentic books and the writing, whatever you want, way too quickly without realizing that we have to just actually teach them how to do both of those things. I read somewhere, it was talking about, um, in, with sometimes with balanced literacy and whole language, it's like we're, we want to see our kids pretend to be adult readers. Like, that's what we do mm-hmm. by giving them these level mm-hmm. books where it, all of a sudden they're fluent because they just figure out the pattern and then they mm-hmm. sound like they're really reading. So we think they are. But when you mm-hmm. learn to break down like this simple view of reading and you understand that when they're not actually decoding, it's not real reading comprehension, it's a hard pill to swallow because you You've just been doing it for so long. It, I absolutely agree. It is. It, it, I, I love what you said about like we get them, like we're having them pretend to do what readers are doing, and that's so true. So what? So true. What got your attention? So in 2019, I was Orton Gillingham trained. So the state of Virginia was sending 75 teachers twice a year to be Orton Gillingham trained through Don Neiman with the Academy of Orton Gillingham Practitioners, I think is the group, AOGPE. And I remember sitting there, it was a four or five day training. And I literally, and I was like five months pregnant at the time. And I'm sitting there like, why did nobody tell me this? Why did nobody tell me this? 
oh my gosh, I never knew. I literally never knew there were rules. Mm -hmm. Nobody in my entire life had taught me that there were rules for English. In fact, they told me that English doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And I believed them. And I kind of just just sort of thought my children would like miraculously weave their way Mm -hmm. through this thing that doesn't make sense. And that's why I think too, we try to put them in these authentic texts because it's like, oh, well, English doesn't make sense. You just have to see it a whole lot. And if you see it a whole lot, then you'll learn to read. But then when I learned things about the fact that TCH says when it comes right after a short vowel, and I was like, what? (laughs) Like that's a thing? Or the fact that words in English don't end in I. And so that's why we use AI in the middle and AY at the end. O-I in the middle, O-Y at the end. And that really just lit a fire. But I have to say, it wasn't like a complete transformation overnight. At the time, I was teaching third grade. So I started with one kid. This one kid in third grade who like nothing was working. And he started staying after with me and doing it. And all of a sudden, this kid was able to spout these rules that I didn't know until I was 34. (laughs) No, I guess I was like 32. But I didn't know until I was in my 30s. But the thing is, I still wasn't like fully transitioned. Because the very next year, I was hired as a reading specialist, and that first year, I was using LLI, and I was trying to somehow meld LLI with this explicit phonics instruction. So what I would do is I would teach the phonics rules, and then I'd give them a leveled text. And we had to have our Orton Gillingham like person come in and observe me, and she was like, Savannah, I think you're losing a little bit of the explicit systematic (laughs) nature. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) For our listeners who don't know what LLI is, could you explain what that is and how it works? I know it's, um, I can say it's from Foundus and Pinnell. It's their intervention program, but tell us more about how it works. Yes, so LLI is Leveled Literacy Intervention, and it's through Fountas and Pinnell. And there's different colored kits. So kindergarten is an orange kit, first grade is a green kit, second is blue, and on and on. And these kits cost thousands of dollars a piece, I think maybe $3,000 a kit. Um, And basically, the focus, and I know that they won't say that this is the focus, but this is how it was presented to me. The focus is taking children through a series of leveled texts and getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. One thing that I had really liked about it at the time was with LLI, um, like if you did a level B, or let's say you did a level D one day, the next day you would read a level B, and then a level D, and then a level B. So mm-hmm. it was like an easier one and a harder one, but it is fully rooted in leveled text. And every year when I taught level text, I felt like my goal was to get them through a certain number of levels. I didn't really see it as my goal was to equip them with certain skills. It was all about the levels and not the skills I wanted them to leave me with. And so I was still trying to push them through the levels because in a lot of places, that's how they're still assessed. Mm -hmm is they're still assessed with things like DRAs. And so I thought that that's what they still needed to do. And I was trying to do both the phonics skills that I had learned, but then I thought they needed the authentic practice in a level text. Mm -hmm. So this was the first thing. You started doing Orton Gillingham. She said to you, this this doesn't match Mm -hmm. up. So then Mm -hmm. what was the next thing? So I think the pandemic is what really 
moved me along on this journey. So I was telling you before we started recording, in March of 2020, when the world shut down, my queuing strategy posters were still on the wall. (laughs) And for those who don't know what those are, those are things like get your mouth ready, skip to the end, does it make sense, look at the picture, all of those strategies that are actually teaching our children to guess. And so they were still hanging up on the wall. And when we shut down, TTAC, which is an organization through uh, William and Mary, they were doing a book study of Kilpatrick's um, Essentials for Preventing, Assessing, and Overcoming Reading Difficulties. And so every week for several months during the pandemic, I sat there on Zoom with a group of teachers for about an hour, an hour and a half, and we really dug into the book. And it, it helped me understand in a way that helped me to like more fully shift over And I have to say that I'm also extraordinarily lucky for a couple reasons. My district was making the shift already, and my district reading um, specialist, she is very gentle Mm -hmm. with the way she helps people shift. Mm -hmm. She never makes you feel like she's attacking you. And so when she was first talking about, like, maybe we shouldn't do queuing strategies, I was like, over my (laughs) dead body. But she knew how to gently usher me into it and the second thing is I have an administrator that really believes in me and like knows that I'm doing what's best for kids and so that's been really helpful because as I've transitioned I haven't been afraid to try these new things because I knew that there were people that were supporting me like in my school so that was extremely helpful but then I think just like the floodgates opened. You know, I had my couple first tiptoes of OG and then that book study. And then it was like, I was I was all in. And I can't tell you like up from down because I just, everything I did was all of a sudden about understanding how children learn to read. And I eventually became letters trained. Oh, cool. I've done both volumes of letters. I got 30 more hours of Orton Gillingham training under my belt. I've done reading teachers top 10 tools. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to do as many things as I could to help myself understand better for the sake of kids. So now you're a specialist versus a classroom teacher. Talk to us a little bit about your first steps when you, when a child comes to you and, and what some of your sessions look like. Oh, I'd love to. Okay. So I teach kiddos K through five And most of the children that I come across need the explicit phonics instruction. Most of the time, if they're at a point where an intervention needs to be in comprehension, you know, they're they're way past the phonics level. So my, well, the phonics that I'm doing, they would need morphology and that kind of thing. But so my groups are really either targeted on letter sound and phonemic awareness instruction or phonics instruction. So we do our universal screeners three times a year. And after our fall universal screeners, we use STAR, but we also use something called PALS, which is a uniquely Virginia thing. Um, But then once we get those scores, when they come to me, I do a couple of additional assessments. For the older kiddos, I do a spelling inventory. And I do the Galistel Ellis, which is a phonics screener. And between the spelling inventory and the phonics screener, I have a pretty good idea of their decoding and encoding abilities. And that helps me to start. So overall, I really do a typical Orton Gillingham lesson where we go from like the sound level to the symbol, to the word, to the sentence, to the connected text level. So you're really thinking about building from the smallest unit to the what we want, which is connected text. 
Um, so I follow pretty much that and it's a lot. One thing that I've started incorporating that I just never realized the importance of is review. I think that if every teacher in this country could set aside 10, 15 minutes a day in their classroom to review skills taught, I think we would have a much better outcome for students. There simply isn't enough time reviewing reading and spelling. And so every day I always try to think about, am I giving my kids enough time to read and enough time to spell the skills that I've taught them? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you have any specific programs you recommend or you just kind of do what you know works best? I don't have a program, and I know that that's an awful thing because programs can make it nice and tidy, and um, we've made a lot of our own stuff. We actually don't even have a curriculum that we follow. We've made our own curriculum in the county, mm -hmm. so I always try to keep it. I think if a teacher wanted to get started and they didn't have a program, the best thing they could do is get a, a really good scope and sequence. Yes. Right? Like if they had a phonic sequence that they could follow, I think that that would be really helpful. And I think too, there's this notion that we need a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. you know, to be successful. But honestly, it's not the stuff that's going to make the impact, it's the teacher knowledge. Mm -hmm. And if you have a few decodables and some paper, you can teach kids how to read, honestly. That's really interesting because I sometimes get um, really beautiful images, photos in my email from people who follow me in Africa. And they'll just have these kids sitting on the dirt and they'll have these little cards where they've written. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Like they're teaching them how to read and they don't have all the fancy stuff mm -hmm. that we have. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Although the other fancy stuff is fun to have, of course. Yeah. And it, it makes what I always say is it makes your life easier. Mm -hmm. This other stuff can make your life easier. But if you're waiting to get started until you have the perfect program or the perfect curriculum, you're never going to get started. The best thing to do is just to jump in with it. Okay, so you recommended the Kilpatrick book, The Essentials of Preventing Reading Difficulties. Are there any other books mm -hmm. or resources that were helpful to you that you would recommend to people getting started? Yeah, so there's a few books. I really love Know Better, Do Better, and I think it's by Libin and Libin. Yep. Um, they were administrators, so they like started their own school, and they're like, huh, this is weird. Our kids don't know how to read, and so they like did all this research into what works and they ended up being instrumental in like changing things in New York City I think I think they've been had a big impact in changing moving away from the Lucy Calkin ages and so no better do better I feel is very friendly and very to the point and it's got a good balance of theory and practice to it which makes it pretty accessible Kilpatrick is good but Kilpatrick can be a lot mm -hmm. Equipped for Reading Success, I think, is a lot friendlier than the Essentials book. Um, but even Equipped for Reading for reading Success, when you look at it, you're like, oh, that's a hefty, that's a hefty <laughs> one. So Know Better, Do Better is pretty short. I also am obsessed with Lynn Stone's Reading for Life. But I will say, if you are just moving away from balanced literacy, you probably shouldn't read it because she's got like this snark in her book that I just adore. I adore it. But she is like, she literally has a chapter in the book about cults and comparing balanced literacy to a cult. So if you're trying to gently move away, don't go there. Go to her later. <laughs> I'm totally with you. And actually, I, I just talked to Heidi from um, Instagram and TikTok, and she, no better, do better, she recommended. That's actually the first book that I read. And um, I started, wow. I think I bought Lynn Stone's book on um, Kindle, and I started to read it. And 
was very offended mm-hmm. <laughs> by how she talked about balanced literacy. Right? Recently, I bought all of her books in print, and I enjoy them a lot. But I was not <laughs> not ready at first, so that's good. Oh no, you have to be ready. Yeah, you do. But I, I will say, I think the first thing all people should read if they are trying to transition from balanced literacy to structured literacy is the Emily Hanford at a loss for words article or listen to the podcast. I think for many of us, that's the article that we're like, oh, oh, yep, yep, this isn't good. And I actually was speaking to a parent recently who her son was having some difficulties. And I was like, does your son look at a word and look at the first letter of the word and just guess? And she's like, he does. That's exactly what I he does. And I was like, you should maybe why don't you read this article? I think this will give you a little bit of insight into what's going on. And she was like, that was fascinating. Yeah. Well, I read that that article was what it did for me, but not right away. Like I just got mad the first time mm-hmm. I read it. I think it was like probably a year later that I went back to it. And my whole my whole goal was just to refute it. Like I have to study this so I know what to say. And I I, I, I couldn't mm. come up with a response because mm. she was right. Well, and I think it's so. I think we need to be okay with being mad at first. It's okay to be mad that what you thought was true for a very long time is coming, turning out to not be true. And it's okay to be mad. But because I know that we're educators that care about children, I hope that through our anger, we also have open minds and that we always take it back to what's best for children. And I've been listening to Brene Brown's Dare to Lead and something she said has just stuck with me. And she says, daring leaders don't care about being right, they care about getting it right. In in education, that's what we need. It's not about who's right, it's about getting it right for the sake of children. Yes, very well said. Your interest in doing this led you to branch out on social media and share. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started on Instagram and then how that branched out into your own online business? Yeah, so it's it's really weird looking back because when I first started on Instagram, I remember thinking, okay, if I just post pictures of my dog and my baby, I'll get a million likes. <laughs> and like, I just I had no idea what Instagram was about. And so I was just posting a bunch of nonsense. And then I don't even know like the first science of reading-ish post that I did, but it started getting traction. And I realized, well, hey, if we're not talking about this in teacher prep program, this is a place that we can talk about it. And so I just started talking and I've never stopped, I guess. Um, So Instagram was my first because as I told you before, I had quit Facebook. I feel like Instagram, um, Instagram can be less toxic in some ways. And so I really focused all my energy on that. And I just found this incredible community. Like there's so many people that are just willing to talk to you and listen to you. And then I realized that I wanted to be that person too. Like I want to be the person who can listen and can help you problem solve, whether it's your own child as a parent or if you're a classroom teacher. Because I, once again, am extraordinarily lucky in the district that I live in because many people are doing this alone and you shouldn't have to. So by being on social media, I hope that we can let people know that they're not alone. And when you have all these people coming in your face about balanced literacy and making it sound like, huh, maybe I do have it wrong, that you have this place that you can go to and you can get facts. And I guess that's just kind of who I want to be. I want all children to have a chance to live a literate life and it's going to come through the educators who are teaching them. Yes. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of really interesting phonics facts and other things and challenging, challenging quotes that you put on Instagram that really inspire people to think. And I I like how you say you're not going to sugarcoat it. You're just going to say how it is. And that's 
really important um, because that's really how you get people's attention. And when we get caught up in all of this stuff, I think we forget who it's about. Like it's actually about these children's Mm -hmm. actual lives. Mm -hmm. And I told you that I teach at the school that I went to as a kid and it's a title one school. You know, these kids are growing up in the same apartment complex that I lived in. And when I think about how I broke that cycle of poverty, you know, I think about a mother who loved me and the fact that learning to read came easy to me. So then when you have these children who are living in these adverse circumstances and reading isn't easy for them, like we have a responsibility to those children. It's not just about reading wars or balanced literacy or Fountas and Pinnell. It is about an actual child's life and that is somebody's baby. And so many of these parents are desperate because they don't know why their children can't read and the teacher's telling them to just read 20 minutes a night and they're like we're reading an hour and they still can't read and it doesn't have to be that way because we know almost every single child can learn to read and we just have an obligation like they're they're babies they're our babies and you know it's just and now that I'm a mom I'm even more fired up about it (laughs) that's awesome I always said as a teacher there was nothing like sitting down for parent teacher conferences and talking with the people who love this child that was driving you crazy more than anybody in the world to give you a whole new brand new perspective. Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing on your Instagram and on your website. We're going to link to all those things in the show notes and um, definitely encourage people to check you out, follow you on Instagram, check out your TPT store. And you also have a great blog. Do you post in there very often? I do blogs every other week. And so it's really cool for me to be able to have my voice out there. When I first started Instagram, I remember thinking, I'm going to keep it very professional. I'm just going to be very professional. And then it turns out people like my normal attitude that I have. And so I just keep it now. And I'm just, I love it. And I also like the fact that like, you know, some people aren't on Instagram or Facebook, but they'll go to a website. And so I think websites are friendlier to share with parents. So like if I have a blog post that could really apply for parents, I feel like teachers would feel more comfortable sharing a website versus an Instagram post with a teacher, with a parent, you know? So I I kind of think of it in that realm as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. And just having it out there in a permanent place for people to refer to is awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it has been so nice to talk to you, Savannah, and to hear your story. And I know that people are really going to appreciate it. I think um, you have a lot of good perspective for people who are maybe stuck in the middle and trying to jump over because you know how it feels like to feel attacked at first. Mm-hmm. So um, thanks. Of course. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. And I'll make sure to include all this information in the show notes so people can find you. Thank you, Anna. Well, that concludes my interview with Savannah. I'm sure you got from that interview what a special person she is and how dedicated she is to her students. In the show notes for this episode, which you can find at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 80, you will find links to Savannah on social media as well as her blog and her TPT store. And I hope that you will check her out because she has so many wonderful things to share. We'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.